On this week's episode of the Best Self Podcast, we sit down with Sarah, who shares her experience of living with a loved one who struggled with addiction and dealing with the pain, worry, and feelings of helplessness, watching the cycle of recovery and relapse. She never imagined she would soon find herself dealing with the same battles with substance abuse. Sarah talks about how she made it through some of the darkest times in her life with the help and support of loved ones to eventually find strength, growth, and healing in recovery. And I was going through these phases where I was super happy, super okay, super great, and then I crashed. It doesn't feel good to be homeless. It doesn't feel good to be poor. It's not like a fun thing, you know, you want to do. There's, there's a new layer of responsibility for parents these days with the internet and technology and social media. It was a hard, hard road. I mean, I would lay at home at night and just worry every single night, like praying I didn't get a phone call, but also praying I did hear from him. Like, I don't understand the need to to put like a, a, a moral judgment on that, right? Uh, no, you're nice. Yeah. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> Like, what describes bad? Like, what were you doing? And Like, what was your first experience of, like, making the wrong decision? <laughs> well, my parents didn't like who I was dating my freshman year in high school. So, in elementary school, you were a pretty good oh, kid? Oh, yeah. I was a good kid. It was just going into high school where, Yeah, like, well, I was actually school? the biggest tomboy ever when I was younger. Like, only wore boy clothes, wouldn't wear my hair in a ponytail. Like, biggest tomboy dirt, ever. Dirt all over the place. I guess. No. I don't know. Because when I think of tomboys, like I, they were the girls that dirty. didn't just, shower. Like, not just, didn't wear like. Not didn't shower, but like they were out there playing tackle football with us well, too. Yes, so they yes. were all like, dirty. Like I played and, hockey and like, but I was a gymnast at the same time. So nobody saw that side of mm-hmm. me. But I always wore like baggy pants, never wore like girls tight jeans. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. It was just like, I never did. And then a, high school came and high school everything hit. changed. What was your, what was, that's a good question though. What was your first bad decision? My first bad decision. Or what kicked it off? Was it that boyfriend? Well, I got grounded. So after my parents told me I couldn't date this kid, I got grounded. And was he older than you? Is that why? Yeah, he was two years older than me. But what was about what they just didn't have good vibes? Yes. Yes. And he was a punk. But, was he? Yeah. So I wanted to go out the one night that I was grounded and we had a two-story house and my bedroom was upstairs. Oh, no. So I had like one of those like rollout like foot. It wasn't a futon, like just one of those. A day bed. A day bed. It was like a cushy day bed that went from like a chair to a bed. So I threw it out my window and I like held my breath and I jumped out my window like, thank God I didn't break my leg. What? But then I left and I went and I met him. Are they you caught insane? Me. At what point did they catch you when they saw the day bed laying on the grass? <laughs> Or well, I took like my stuffed animals and stuff, and like put one of my stuffed animals like hair up in like a ponytail, and, like tried oh, to make it the look old like under the cover trick. No, they caught me, and I was there, and they called me, and they told me to come home. I eventually came home, but yeah, that was like when it started. And then they threatened like <laughs> pins, and like the cops would come. Like it was just it was bad. Wait, I want to know why would the cops come? Because he would show up? No, because I was just not listening. Really? They call the cops but on you? Would they, I would might, freak they, out. But they would call and say, what, my daughter isn't listening to us? My daughter's out of control. Yep. So they threatened you. We're going to call the cops if you don't behave. Mm-hmm. I don't think I've ever heard that one. And they came? Oh, they came. Well, I was out. I was mean. Like, I was, like, throwing chairs. Like, I was, oh. I was so bad. You were, you were actually being okay, yeah, physical. That's, like, cops filmed on location. Yes. So, like, what... Domestic what, disputes. What, what got a chair thrown? Like, what was the... What tips you yeah, off? Yeah, what like, tips you off? What got you, you going? 
I don't know. They just told me no, and I wanted to do it. <laughs> and I've always been the person, if I want to do something, I do it. ODD, huh? I hear you. Well, no, you don't live your life unless you do things. That's so, so you would funny. say, I yeah. want to go see John or whatever his name is. And they would say no. Yeah, and right. And you were like, I'm throwing this chair. I don't know. I would just yell and like, I can't tell you. I feel so bad now. How many times I told my parents how much I hated them? Oh, yeah. That's gross. Yeah. Well, it's like, about growing up. Yeah, that's growing up. You start realizing that you were a punk as a kid oh and you're God. like, obviously I, so I didn't mean bad. any of that. Well, yeah, but now I have my kids growing up and it's like, oh, get ready. Say, right? I hate you. And it, oh, it hurts. Get ready. I know that was the one thing we didn't say that like my mom made it very clear that I hate you was like, if you say this, my heart will break and never get back. And like the guilt of like ever saying like, so we would like, fine. we now, I don't know. She was just really good at like the guilt. So we <laughs> never, I remember one time me drawing, trying to draw hate you, but like the, the A was backwards. I could barely write. You Wait. could barely, she was like, were you trying to write I hate you, mom. <laughs> and I just remember being like, no. <laughs> like trying to figure out what I could have been writing. She's like, how do you write like, mom backwards? Yeah. I'm like, oh, she goes, okay. Just wanted to make sure. <laughs> so we, I just never again. That's funny. Yeah. Were your parents together? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So who would, would it, would it be like more of you and your mom freaking out or like a, all three of you or. Um, leave her alone she's fine was it like my more mom the- always like gave in to me and my dad finally like put his foot down my mom had to follow through with it and then i just hated them both i don't know this is freshman year like all of high school well freshman sophomore so freshman's where it starts kicking off is it is it the influences of other kids or do you think it's just because it's that age when you just kind of start rebelling probably just that age my mom always tells me now like even with my kids that like you can't always say yes, even though it's something small. Like, you can't just give it. I was a spoiled brat yeah, you when I give was them younger. Boundary. Oh, yeah. see. So I always thought I could do what I wanted. And when they started telling me no, I wasn't having it. <sighs> so was it anything serious? Like, or was it just little things? Like, I want to go to my friends or can you buy me this? Or was it like serious stuff? Like, no, Sarah, like you're drinking. Like, was it, did it start off just real petty and little? Or was it like big things like catching you drinking or smoking cigarettes or pot uh, No, or... I never smoked cigarettes in front of them. I would go out and drink. But, but you did smoke cigarettes. I did. How old were you when you had your first? Um, hmm. Did you smoke cigarettes first or drink first when you were younger? Drink. Really? My brother would take me to parties. Well, how old were you? he'd have me like funneling beers and stuff. Oh my like, God. So how you, old were you? And when he brought me to parties, I don't know, 15? How old was he? 16? 17, He's 18? How old is he? years older than me. Yeah. So like you're I, going to like those big parties. Like, <laughs> yes. Wow. Where like people were telling me if you don't finish this beer, you're wasting it. So like oh, God. I had to keep up with them. I remember one night walking home from the party that was like three blocks away from my house. Yeah. And we brought a bike and my brother was riding the bike in the street, like going back and forth, back and forth. I was like, now who's my sister-in-law? Like we were like holding each other up, like as she was puking, like, fought. like it was just a mess. And then I got home and my mom had thought that somebody drugged me. Because I was just so, yeah. like, I don't remember. So, wow. it was, yeah, it was like. That had to be a fun conversation. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm sure like, oh, my God. The your horror. son made me do it. <laughs> yeah, right. And then what your brother must have had to deal with, knowing like, them knowing he took you around like that. Yeah, but he always got away with things. Really? Always. Like, he always talked, like, they thought I was drugged. They didn't think that I was totally drunk. They thought that somebody put something in my drink. Wow. So your brother kind of put you on the path. <laughs> he kind of helped. He's like, here, check this out. 
I guess. This is yeah. what parties like. Or like in, because he'd buy me the alcohol, and then in high school, my friends would know I had it, so I'd give it to him. I remember one time we were at the school dance, and I gave this one kid. It was skull vodka. So it was like Ugh. we had to get on skull vodka hidden in my stuffed animal container. And I gave him some before the dance and he ended up under the bleachers at the dance, like puking with alcohol oh, no. poisoning. Like, oh, oh it was no. Did he, did he rat you out? He did, but he didn't remember the next mm. day. So he called me like crying, apologizing that like he said my name. And did you get it suspended? Thank God I didn't. No, oh. I almost did though. It has to be like from the men, for the, <laughs> like psychologically or for the mentality of the older brother. It's like. It's like an ego thing. It I is. Because then they look that, like they're idolized by their younger sibling. Like they're, they're being looked at as. Like I'm the cool one. Yeah. And, like look at me. Well, yeah. yeah. And then when he like got together with his fiance, they used to take me to like do things. Like his fiance's best friend got broken up by her boyfriend, so they took me to the new girlfriend's house to put water and sugar in the gas tank, and we ruined oh. their engine. And they had me do it. No. Yes. Was there any point of you thinking of like? You're conscious, so you were like, "This isn't right." Or did were no? At, it was exciting. That, okay, so at that age, you were like, "Yeah, there was no n- empathy." Didn't kick in at no. that age. No, not at all. It was exciting. So how it the was brain funny. Works. Yeah. Yeah. So you were drinking before you were smoking cigarettes? Yeah. And how did the cigarettes come in? Is it one of those things where, yeah. hey, we smoke when we're drinking, kind of a thing? Yeah, it was a social yeah. thing. And then I started bartending downtown okay. at Chippewa, and I think it kind of started there. Stress. I just need a cigarette. No, Let me get a cigarette. Because people were doing it. I don't know. So did things get worse to senior year? Like where do you like? No, things got better. Like end of junior into senior year. Did you ever do any drugs in high school? Like were you the kids that were doing like ecstasy or LSD no, or anything I like that? Weed. Just weed. But I was never like a fan. Like because really, I remember. Yeah, I, didn't do it for you. I remember no. at least when I was in high school. Jeez. Uh, the different groups. So there were people that were always into oh, yeah. acid and then there was the the kids with the weed and then the kids that like to do coke at the parties. Yeah, no, everybody was just smoking weed. But yeah. it like it makes like it made me paranoid. Like I would freak out. I yeah. can't do it. Yeah. So it, interesting. Drinking, partying, drinking and partying. high school. Yes. Throwing chairs. Throwing chairs. <laughs> So when you were bartending on Chippewa, were you still in high school? Was that like later on in high school? Um, It was the year I graduated. So I was 17 turning 18. So while all this is going on, like you think of like, what do I want to be where I grow up? Like, did you have anything that you were attached to? Like you were a gymnast. Like for me, I thought I was like going to be Mia Hamm and nothing was going to. Yeah. US soccer. Yeah. The soccer star. That's all that mattered. Like, did you have anything like that you connected to that you were like, this no, is what I want to like, do. I loved working downtown. I worked Thursday, Friday, Saturday. So three nights a week and came home with like $800. So you liked the days. quick money or did you like being around people? Both. It was exciting. I saw so much, met so many people, like so many people now, like will come up to me and like know me from working downtown. Like it was, I don't know, it was exciting. And then I would see all my idiot friends come and get drunk and get thrown out of bars. And <laughs> like, it was, it wasn't me. Yeah. So it was, just, it was entertaining. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So now we're, you're still bartending. So take us now, take us to how you got on the road. Is it what, how you met Josh? Is that the next, or like when you had kids or what's next at that step? Um, at that step or the, or how you started using and take us through how you got there. I met Josh actually in fifth grade, um, but we were always super close. And then after high school, I had my son and Josh was, 
I mean, he was using, he was struggling. You guys were dating? Um, when did you start dating? After or before high school? Oh, during high school? After high school. Oh, okay. Um, during high school. We always dated other people, but we always stayed super close. Okay. Um, but then I had my oldest when I was 18. I mean, he used throughout and it was, it was a hard, hard road. I mean, I would lay at home at night and just worry every single night, like praying I didn't get a phone call, but also praying I did hear from him in some right. sort of way. Like I remember texting him just saying like, just send me a space. Like if you're still alive, I'd get super nervous. Like the stress just like was awful. So take us back when he started using, did you know he used before you started dating? Did he use in high school? What did he use? Like how, how did you figure that out? And we're like, Oh, this doesn't feel right to me. I mean, in high school, like a lot of people were doing, like you mentioned, like there were a bunch of different groups. So like yeah. people were doing pills and that's when yep. they were actively yeah. around and they were easy to get. Um, so that's what it started with was pre- prescription meds? Yeah. Like the pain pills and yeah, stuff? Yeah, it started, it actually started the with the car accident. and all that. Oh. oh. There, so there's, like, yeah. there's a big issue right there and that's the truth. I've worked, I worked in a pharmacy for almost 10 years and I remember that being a big deal is that a lot of these doctors will prescribe some of the craziest, strongest stuff like it's nothing. Mm-hmm. Just like, oh, here, take it like it's aspirin. You know what yeah. I mean? Now it's a little bit more aware of it, and, and there's a lot more regulations in the way that stuff's prescribed. But back then, like, it was bad. And that just, yeah. it just got into the streets. Prescription meds basically flooded the streets, and then it's become an epidemic since. Because, honestly, they always talk about this drug or that drug is almost like a gateway. But these drugs really get you hooked that when you can't get them anymore and you can't get a prescription pad or your doctor's not doing it, you have to go to other stuff. Well, you know I told I mean? you about Tyler Sash, who my roommate in college, her first cousin played for University of Iowa for football, got drafted to the New York Giants. And I'm a huge Giants fan. So we were all pumped up that he was coming to New York. We lived on Long Island. Her cousin, like we just were, were so elated for him. That year he wins the Super Bowl, hurts his shoulder. They start giving him pills. They cut him. So now they cut him. They give him these pills, so now he has no doctor, mm-hmm. still in pain, no more pills, now starts finding it from whatever Frank, Joe, and Harry on the street, mm-hmm. ends up overdosing and dying. Yeah. Good kid, religious kid, Not was that was not his intent. Mm-hmm. He just was trying oh, to survive. He got you know hooked, what I mean? he got he got hooked, hooked. on what, what they gave him. And there was no follow through, you know, so there was no thoughtfulness of, hey, we're giving this to you. It's pretty serious. You're not on the team anymore, but we're still going to monitor you because you're a human being and we care about you. But now you're just a football player who's now disposable to us. Yeah. And it's so it's crazy how it starts like that injuries or like car crashes. Next thing you know, you know, you've got this and it's it's working and it's perfectly fine. It's working, but it's also feeling a certain way. And then you stop taking it for a bit and you start to get sick and you're just like, you know what, it almost feels feels like, okay, I'm just taking vitamins in the morning. And the next thing you know, it's more than that. So Josh got in a car accident and that's what they said. Here, take this. Yes. So it, w- it wasn't even his intent no, to do it to get it high. Yeah. And this is Sad. before you guys got together or yeah. after? So before. Mm-hmm. So when you got together, he was already using. But did you know or not know? You just had a when feeling? When we got together, um, I think he was, I mean, he was in and out of a lot of trouble. Yeah. So I think he was just coming back home. He had to do some time. And, you know, everybody was hoping and praying that he wasn't going to go back out and use. And right. of course he did. Um, so it was a constant... I guess, I mean, in and out of jail and not a rehab, like every time hoping and praying that it was different. Right. Um, Which unfortunately, though, that's part of the process, you know, like with with addiction, like it's always going to be 
those times where they're going to slip and fall and you got to understand it's part of the process. And I don't think people realize that like people like him, I'm sure like that's not the, like they don't want to be in that situation, but that addiction is so strong. Like the billboard I just saw that says texting and driving, it makes good people look bad. And I was like, that's how I feel about stuff like this. Like it makes good people look bad because their life is just completely hooked (laughs) and given over to these drugs. And it's not like they want to be here, but the, there's just no sense of control. Like right. it just is like you hand your life over. Yeah. It feels like Seriously. without any, like nothing's enough to motivate to be able to stop because it's so strong. And I think people lose that. They just yeah. see these people as like degenerate. Well, like yeah. he came from a great family. Like everybody was so supportive. Like he was brilliant. And he was just one of those kids. Like he walked in the room, made everybody laugh, made everybody smile. Everybody liked him. But after, you know, years and years of using and, you know, doing things and upsetting people and stealing, he walked around with like just so much weight on his shoulders that that's something that like. And people changed the way they looked at him. In his, I mean, people had forgiven him by this point, but oh, yeah. at the same time, he always felt guilty. He always felt that way. He always felt that people looked at him a certain way, even though everybody had always forgiven him. Yeah. So I guess like. Well, and it's hard because you have this child. You know, that well, yeah. he is now taking responsibility for, which I'm sure is going back and forth in his head. Like, this sucks. You know well, what I mean? Because well, you're not even you. Yeah. yeah. It wasn't even him. Like, I yeah. know he loved him to pieces and I know he loved everybody to pieces, but it comes to a point where, like, tough love, like, you have to until, yeah. until that person's ready to do something about it. So, when did you get have an idea that there was, that that was something he was struggling. He's just because you already knew he was going in and out of stuff. So it was something that was known. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And it was always a fear. And at that point, like I didn't know much about it. Like I didn't really understand it. Um, you know, so I was just doing everything possible I could to try and change his ways. Right. You felt responsible to help take care of him. I mean, in a way I feel like I enabled a, a lot because I gave him everything that he asked for everything. You know, I tried, we had a house, like we had everything. And mm-hmm. I just, I couldn't wrap my head around the fact of why he would choose drugs over a family. Yeah. So I think that was the hardest thing. Um, if you look back now, you know how we were talking about advice from like elders or advice for people that's not in the situation. Like, does that advice hold up? Like, do you feel like people in that position coming from a family member who's not using? Like, what, what do you tell them? Like, what advice do you give them? Like, if you're spouse or child's using like what can you even say or do you feel like it's mostly them yeah i would just say hope and pray i mean i think tough love is like the best way to go about it because and is tough love like the way ariana grande said talked about mac miller like just break up with him and that's it and if you stop no i mean be there for him obviously like yeah you have to be you there have to for give them ultimatum right i wouldn't give them an ultimatum just know that you're there for them okay and I think that just, I mean, in this world now, like there's so much controversy around that subject that Mm -hmm. unless you live it, you don't understand. And I don't wish that upon anybody. So, I mean, I'm at the point where now, like if somebody is like going back and forth about it and like they haven't experienced, like I don't even put in my two cents, like it's not worth arguing about. I just, it is what it is. So you're basically saying, Unless someone voluntarily says, I'm going to go get help, it's really difficult for people to influence them. Absolutely. I don't think it's going to do it. If any people are mandated, like, I don't believe people talk about, um, like, rock bottom. 
Yeah. Like I do not believe there's such thing as rock hitting bottom. rock bottom and that's enough to wake them up. And it's not. There is no rock bottom. People are comfortable, not comfortable, but like content living their life they're in. They don't really have a choice. Like they're not themselves. I feel like somebody has to experience like some sort of life changing event, whether it be like I've heard a story. Somebody saw a stick in the road that was in the shape of a Y and she took it as why are you doing this? And that changed her life. In the shape of what? I'm sorry. A Y. Oh. And mm. she like saw that as a sign. Like it could be something as stupid or as little as that or it could be something as like your best friend dies from it. Like so I feel like somebody has to experience something before they make a change. But you can't force somebody. You can't mandate somebody. It's not going to make a difference until they want to do it. Right. I think that's always the thing, right? They say when it comes to addiction until they're really ready to face it, accept it and, and treat it. It's, it's, it's always going to be that it's always going to be where they're almost doing it to appease family and and friends. Um, and that's why they fall much easier because it's not a true conviction for themselves to want to just straight go through, go through it. I know it's hard. It doesn't mean that just having the will is going to help them, but it's like you said, they don't want to live like that, but they're not, Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a lot of work. And like <clears throat> when you're in active addiction, you are the best liar in the world. Yeah. Like, and, but they don't lie to lie. Like they lie to make you feel better. They don't want to hurt others. They lie to basically, uh, like you said, appease other people. Yeah. Like, you lie to your family to make them think that you're not using so they can feel mm-hmm. okay. Yeah. So they don't worry. They don't lie because they want to lie. They lie to protect others, pretty much, I would say. So I wonder what the mental state is behind people that were given it for pain and now all of a sudden are in this world. I mean, I think initially it just starts <laughs> with like withdrawal. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. you feel like you feel horrible. Yep. And then. So it's, it's like you continue so to take to um, so you don't feel that withdrawal. So it's like this sucks. So I'm going to still keep doing this because mm-hmm. this is so bad that I'd rather just keep. Yeah, I'd ra- rather yeah. not feel pain or be sick if you could fix it that quickly. And then it comes to a point where, like, you get into that lifestyle and you don't feel emotions. You don't – it just becomes that. It's not – I think for those people, it's not really a choice. Like, I want to get away from this. That's just what happens. So what tough love would you use to give? Like, as the person who's his one of his main support systems, like, what did you feel – that you had to do besides just encourage? I mean, I couldn't just hand them money. You know, people went from giving them cards with money in it to physically giving them a gift card. But even you can sell a gift card. You can't find anything to sell. Um, I mean, it got to a point where, like, people wouldn't let them in their houses without locking literally everything up, and it was sad. But, I mean, as far as tough love, I mean, like I said, I was there for him if he needed him. I just... I remember checking his phone records to see if he made a call within like the past 15 minutes just to know that he's still alive and he's still somewhere. Even though I didn't know where, I just, it, it made me feel okay just knowing that he was still doing something. If that was the only way I could know, like I was okay with And this that. is when you guys had a house when he was living with you? Mm-hmm. How long has he gone? Like hours at a time or days? Hours. Um, you know, I'd go to work and I'd be, come home, he'd be gone. And then I wouldn't hear from him for hours and hours and hours. And I would literally text him and just be like, can you please just say something? Say you're okay. Say you're alive. Something. Yeah. Um, and he says the reason like he didn't text back was because he didn't want to get into it with me because he knew I was upset. Yeah. Um, but I would say he'd usually come home depending on the day, depending who was available, probably around 11. But there'd be some nights that I'd fall asleep and then he'd leave. So. Right. 
It was all over the place. Whenever he was getting sick is when he'd leave. At the end, it was he wasn't going to get high. He was going to not feel sick. What um, How did you cope with it? Like, How did you cope with that? That kind of stress thinking about whether or not some, the person you love is dead? I don't know. I don't know if I've still coped with it. I feel... Like, did you just turn on, like some people, like when they're yeah, stressed and they start cleaning, they go around the house and they're cleaning the entire time. Some people are doing shots and drinking. Like, what was it you were doing that, that helped you cope with the stress of it, dealing with that? I mean, I was so busy with my son. And at this time, I mean, I had had my daughter also. Yes. So they And again, me. that's even stressful. So how do you cope with just knowing that you have to do that? You know, Josh is out. All this is going on. You might have to go to work. Like, well, how do you cope with that? I just, I don't know. I just would lay on the couch. I'd stay awake. I'd have countless nights where I wouldn't sleep. What were your support systems? Did you have people you could talk to? Friends, family? I did. Um, his family was super, super supportive because mm-hmm. they knew of what was going on. Yeah. Half of his family was supportive of me. The other half was like, you need to leave him, get away. Like he's not going to get better. Um, as far as my family goes, of course they wanted me to be okay and they wanted me to have the best life and they knew that he wasn't doing well. So I'd have to lie to my family on my end to say that he was doing well. Right. So it was like a constant battle of telling my family he was okay and having to almost protect him. So they didn't, did you ever give yourself a, a breaking point? Like if this happens, then that's it. Like, did you ever give yourself like a checkpoint of, I did, but I never spelled through yeah. with it ever. Well, that's cause that's what love is. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I tried. Didn't work. Well, I don't think it didn't work. I think you don't have control of a situation like that. Like you're two separate people. And like you said, you can only just be there as a support because nothing works. Do you know what I mean? So it's not, I mean, anything you could have done. So at this point, now you have two kids and he's in and out. So then what's like the next phase? So what happens at this point? Um, well, his charges finally caught up to him and he went to jail mm-hmm. and he was sent to Lakeview Shock Facility, mm-hmm. which is, I don't know if you know anything about it, but it's supposed to be really good for um, like drug charges and stuff like that. It's almost, it's a military based prison. So they have to do you know, drills, they have to run, they have to work out, they have to make their bed. They're very, very regimented, just like a military would be. So um, at that point is when I kind of started, like, dabbling in it. And, uh, of course, I didn't tell him. How did that come around? Yeah, how did that come around? Because I want mine, and I know it's the dumbest thing ever, like, I, because I wanted to understand. Mm. I wanted to understand what he was feeling and why it was so amazing why he would choose that over our family. Okay. Um, so then he was here getting better and here I was screwing up. Like he knew cause I would go and visit him, but I would obviously never tell him. How did it start with pills and stuff or? No, no. The first time I had ever, ever, ever tried it, he was very bad in active addiction and I wouldn't let him leave my side. And he said, fine, if you won't leave my side, will you do it with me? And it will be the uh. last time that I do it. And of course I wanted to believe him. So I tried it. And that was the first time that I had ever tried it. And shortly after is when he went away. But I was surrounded by people that all of my friends were using. Yeah. Every single person I knew was using. And it was, they were either in jail, they were in rehab. They were calling me. Like it was, it wasn't easy to escape from. Yeah, it's part of your life. I mean, it's it's almost saturating all aspects of your life. It was around me 24-7. And it wasn't, it wasn't difficult to me because people would, 
like I'd literally one day say, all right, I'm going to stop. And then five minutes later, I'd have somebody call me and say, hey, do you want to go get something? And of course, why would I say no? The part of your brain kicks in and it starts going, oh, yeah. Especially like they, they would bring it right to me, right? Like right to me. I didn't have to go anywhere. I didn't like have to wait. Yeah. Um, and that's what made it, what made it difficult. So, and then it just started affecting every other part of my life. Like, And you said Josh was in recovery when you started really getting into it. Yeah. So that obviously that makes it hard as well. Um, and now you were saying you, you had a lot of support from his family, uh, because they were aware of what was happening with him. You had support from your family because they kind of wanted you to be okay. What happened in that dynamic when it started where you were starting to deal with that? I just... I mean, I'm sure they were aware, but I mean, I hit it as much as I can. And to this day, I don't really bring it up. Okay. Um, you know, I dropped weight significantly mm-hmm. and, you know, work, I was constantly late. I ended Was up, this at the bar? No, at this point I was cutting hair. Okay. Um, and then I started like stealing from work leaving work early so I could go grab. So let me ask you if, I mean, if you don't want to get into it too hard, you don't have to, but like, so put us in the mindset, like somebody that's dealing with it and you're at work, like what are you stealing from a, a salon to sell? Are you like well, scissors than, and stuff or money no, out of the till? money or? out of the drawer. When you go to cash somebody out, they pay cash for a haircut. I just would keep the cash and, and I think this is so important to listen to because People understand how yeah. that works. It's like you, it brings you – you almost became a different person because think about that. You sat up late at night worrying what's going on and now you're somebody that's doing the same thing. And, and mm-hmm. you got to understand what addiction does. It literally – it's almost like a Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde thing. It's totally not you when you're no. not in control oh my gosh. of that. I did some of the grimiest – like grimiest things. Yeah. I would do whatever I could to get my – like I said, I was leaving work. I remember one time I – climbed into a garbage can because I threw out one of my needles and I didn't have one. So I climbed into a garbage can to get the one that I threw out. Like you do the dirtiest thing. Yeah. So it's just, it's not, it's not you. And for you, were you, was this an escape for you? Like, was this life on drugs better than the life of worrying, going through court, dealing with jet? Like, was this, did this, was this more of an escape and putting the rug over your stress or, did you just feel like you had no control? Like you, yeah. you didn't want to do this, but it was so strong that you just couldn't. At first it was an escape. And then, like I said, it was just at times so convenient. The minute I'd say, you know what, I'm done. Like I'd get that phone call and it would it'd be handed to me. So it was, it was, I was stuck. So. How long does that go for before you start really thinking, okay, this has got to stop? Um, when my mom started saying stuff to me. So um, like a year, a couple years? I mean, it went fast. I mean, it. I'd say within five, six months, people oh, okay. started noticing. They asked me questions. Like, I look back at pictures now. Like, I was gray. I looked horrible, mm-hmm. but you don't notice it at the time. Right. Um, I remember one time I came home to pick up the kids after work, and my mom and dad pulled me aside because they had found a letter that Josh had written me. And it said something in regards to, you know, you said you've been clean for this long. And my parents questioned it. And, of course, they worried. They felt horrible for going through my stuff. But at the same time, they pulled me aside and they were, like, checking my arms, like, Mm -hmm. looking for track marks. Um, But I was already too far into it that, like, I had already pre-thought about that. So rather than shooting my arms, I was shooting my feet. I knew they wouldn't look there. So it was, like... 
like I said, you become that liar and this person that just thinks completely differently just to cover up what Interesting. That's crazy. And does it really only take one time? Like, do you feel like this all started because of that one time that he said, just do it? Like, do you feel like that was, oh my gosh, like now I'm hooked? Or did you feel like, oh wow, I kind of enjoy this? Like, take us through the mind of that. At first, I was scared. When I, the first time I tried it, I was scared because I didn't know. And then I got to the point that I just didn't care anymore. Um, of course, like nobody wants to die. Right. But would you say you were depressed or had any anxiety during this time or no, not really? You just were like, no, whatever. I was just, I mean, it was my way of life. Like I saw my life falling quick. Like I knew what I was doing was wrong. Um, and I knew I was at risk for a lot of things. Like I knew I was at risk for losing my children. I mean, at one point I got CPS called on me and I had to go through this whole battle with CPS. So it was, it was a lot of, a lot of risk taking. And that's like, what's interesting. Cause I feel like people don't have compassion for mothers who aren't making the right decision. It's always, you don't care about your children. They're not yeah. enough. You're a bit like, take us from the mindset of like a mother who has children, who's using, like what is in your head that maybe people don't really understand. It's a disease. It's something that's messing with you that you have zero control over. doesn't mean you don't care about your kids or the person you love, you know? Well, right. And I feel like I was more fortunate to get out of it at the time that I did. Um, Of course, I justified everything when it came to the kids. I Mm -hmm. said, I'll only use when they're sleeping or when I'm at work or somebody's babysitting them, like never in front of them. Did you ever have those guilt thoughts, though, Yeah, maybe they're sleeping, but what if I was using and then something happened and I had to drive them to the emergency room? Well, there was actually one time where I, I don't know, I was on the phone with a friend and I had used and I used a little too much. And he, when I talked to him afterwards, said that like he heard the phone fall and I had made it to the couch and had overdosed on the couch. And apparently... My oldest son like had woken up and was trying to wake me up, but couldn't wake me up. Mm-hmm. Eventually, I came back to call my friend and he like had told me what had happened and how long I was out. But I have like, whenever I think about it, I get super yeah. like sick to my stomach that yeah. like he could have found me. I could have been dead that day. Yeah. And like it gives me like the biggest guilt, but I get like sick just thinking about that. Was, it, is that part of the moating, fading things that, you know started saying, okay, this is it. I'm done. I can't do this anymore. After that night, I said I was done. Then the next day I was right back to it. It's like at that moment, it's like, holy shit, like that scared me. I could have just died. Yeah. But then the next day it's like, yeah, it won't happen again. I'll just use a little less. Yeah. What, when, so what was it? What was it that said, okay, I need help. I need to finish this. I, I can't do this anymore. Um, I mean, all my friends and all my contacts were either arrested, dead, or in rehab. So that was like a huge So it was help. making it hard to get. Now. It was making it harder to okay. get. I mean, it was, I didn't want to lose my job. I had a house. I had kids to support. I didn't want to, you know, lose all of that. So like, I mean, there were realizing factors, but the biggest thing is that like, I knew Joshua was coming home soon and I didn't want to be the reason that yeah. he started back he up again. again. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think it was just a bunch of different factors. So what's your first step? What do you do? You reach out to somebody for help. You call someplace. Would you tell a friend, family? What did you do? Um, for me, it was I started going to meetings. Um, and I know for a lot of people that doesn't help, but it just 
I liked being around people who understood who weren't my family. Mm -hmm. That wouldn't make me feel guilty. Um, So that's like where it started. And of course there were slip ups in between. Mm -hmm. Um, But then I just, I don't know. I distanced myself. Is it like, um, like AA where you have a sponsor and and like whenever you're feeling something, you're supposed to reach out and be partners. Yeah, you can. There's a bunch of different ways people can do it. And there's a 12-step program. I didn't do any of that. I just liked going and listening to other people's stories and how they can relate and really like how lucky I am that I was able to not have all these horrible things happen to me. Did you have to deal with a lot of like withdrawal and and go through the the, the physical stuff? I did. And it was really, really shitty. And for a while, I Where was that? Just straight at home? It was at home. I'd be at work. I'd be shaking. Um... You know, and for a little bit, I tried Suboxone, but again, you'll withdraw from that as yeah. well. Because um, I feel like I feel like the public needs to know the reality of something like that. Because you always see it in movies. You see in movies somebody's withdrawing, and they kind of put them in a bedroom and, and close the door and just kind of let them go through all this pain and screaming and vomiting and sweating and all this stuff. So you you see that, and you're just kind of like, is that really? But like, no one thinks of like the working. Yeah, like mother, I went to work and I'm, I'm freaking yeah. out, and that. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, and then I, Joshua, when he was away, convinced me to go into um, Horizons. Okay. And I saw a counselor and I ended up getting on the Vivitrol shot, which okay. I think is like the best thing in the world. Um, and to explain what Vivitrol is so people know. Basically, is it's like it's a shot you get once a month and it completely covers and blocks your opiate receptors. Um, the only thing about it is, is that even if you do try using, it still affects your organs. So it's easy to overdose on because you won't physically feel the effects of it. Wow. Um, but I feel like that's a huge lifesaver and I know they're, you know, coming up with like a shot of Suboxone as well. I just didn't want anything that I had to depend on. Right. So how long does that go? How long does going through the withdrawal process and and withdrawal. and taking the the meds and the things needed to try to get out of it? Well, you can't even get the shot until you're you've been clean for okay. I mean, you have to tax clean for I want to say it was like two weeks, but the whole withdrawal process I feel like it went on forever. Mm. And I feel like yes, you get sick, you puke, you feel like your bones are like burning inside you. You feel like you're gonna die, but the worst part for me was trying to sleep at night mm-hmm. because I got horrible, horrible, horrible restless legs. Mm-hmm. And no matter what I did, like my legs, like it was horrible. And that lasted like two months. Wow. So it took a while to get back into a routine. And then, I mean, you still get those like urges where like your stomach turns where you yeah. want to go use, but you know, you can't. Right. And what would you say for someone who is going through withdrawal now? Like, is it best to be around family at all times, take off of work, be at work, like be distracted? Have someone... I just liked being distracted. Yeah. Because if you're home, you're like planning things and yep. it's, it's so easy to just get off track. But I feel like once people stop using, they feel like they're like Superman mm-hmm. for like the first couple months. Mm-hmm. But then like, because you're like, you. I beat this. Yeah. I but then like, hits you and you have to deal with everything that you've been fighting off for so long. Yeah. And then those those thoughts come in. There's the thoughts that just start saying, well, one more time won't put me back on the path because I just want that feeling just again, just for now. And I'm done. Well, exactly. And that's and how people fall and like slide. Substituting, like I've tried substituting with with different drugs and it's, it's not the same. There's yeah. nothing that is the same. Right. So that's not 
wasn't my answer either. When you did reach out to someone and say, okay, this is what I'm doing. What was the response you always wanted to hear from someone? Like what was going to make you feel? I just wanted the support. Like I talked to, like I said, the people at NA, they always like, they are like, I'm proud for, I'm proud of you. And they always reached out to me. Even if I wouldn't respond to them at the time, they like made sure that they were there. So we're back. Josh comes home. You're clean. Yes. And what happens there? Like, are we back to white picket fence, family? It was it was fantastic. He yeah. came home and, you know, we were planning on having another child. Um, you know, he was completely different. It was amazing. I, we, I thought, like, it, it was just crazy. He was in shape. He was eating well. It, he was just a completely different person. <clears throat> so we uh, tried to get pregnant. We got pregnant. Um, he... I could tell was dealing with some struggles. Um, and when you say is struggles, it emo- emotional yeah, what, or what like work see? or what do you, what were you feeling at that time? Um, I think he was getting stressed out because he was in the middle of trying to find employment. He had employment, but he wanted better. Were um, you worried at all that maybe the, these was a sign that something else is going on again? Oh, absolutely. I could read him like a book. He wow. could, I mean, I could speak to him on the phone and I would know right away if yeah. something like. So you already dealt with it and you knew the patterns and you seen the behaviors. Mm-hmm. So as soon as you saw those signs, you were just like, it was alarm bells. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I knew and I knew like everybody always says, it only takes that one time. Yeah. And when he came out, it was fentanyl all over the streets and he yeah. wasn't used to that. It was big, big time. And well, uh, still is. I mean, it's it's so bad it is you don't i mean and you don't know Mm-mm. and he had never taken that before no he when he went in it was it was heroin i mean so he heard yeah. so he heard what he'd heard is that hey you can get this now on the street that kind of emulates the same feelings and unfortunately it's it's something else it's that it's not it's, it's so it's, different if you're not used to it like you don't know what to expect the feelings completely different um and it's cheaper and i remember right? isn't it like so it's easy to get. It's manufactured. Well, some yeah, of it's, it's manufactured in China. Like it's not even. Right. It's chemicals. Right. And it came from uh, pharmaceuticals. Mm-hmm. Like I remember when I was working in the pharmacy when fentanyl first came out, it was this patch, this whole thing mm-hmm. about like pain patch, you know, how you could just go get icy hot patches. Now you can get this for pain, but it's prescribed because it's it's higher, you know, concentration of whatever the narcotic is. Um. And then you did. You did start seeing people who kept coming in and they needed more of it, more of it. And I think the way it's been used recently, um, they don't use it as a patch. They tear it up. They do all that. That's been, you know, that's a more recent thing, I think. I don't remember that being a big deal back when I worked in the pharmacy. But again, you have something that's put out originally where the pharmaceuticals are like, this should help. And doctors just kind of wrote it with whatever, with just disregard, not understanding what it's going to do to people. And so what are you, how many pills are, are is, is one buying? This is like the naive, like non-20, 30, and, and, and how at a time? Like, it depends what it is. It's so hard to get oh, pills yeah, now. Yeah. Like, it's, it's next to impossible. <clears throat> but what, in what way does fentanyl come? Is it the gel still, the patch, yeah, like, a gel? Because I feel like I see People, so many Because it was a gel from when I remember it being, you know, in the pharmacy. It came as a pain patch and inside the patch yes. is the gel. It's like a, the, the, the I don't know how they do it, but the way you buy it on the streets, it's a powder. Oh, so oh, you can't tell the difference between heroin and fentanyl. So they got their powders. Got it. it looks exactly the same. Jeez. I mean, there's variations of colors, but yeah. other than that, like you, you don't know. You have no idea. So how long he gets out? How many months does he go back? Um, I'd say it took about two and a half months 
and I knew he was using two and a half for you to find out. No. Oh, okay. From when he started using, you feel. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So did this make you want to use? It did. It did. But I knew I needed to be there for him at the same time, and I knew it would be just completely catastrophic. Yes, if we were both using. Yeah. Um. But I knew he was using and I knew he was getting worse. And there was one time that he had come home from work and he had taken the bus to the bus station. And I was waiting to pick him up and waiting, waiting, waiting. And an ambulance pulled up. And in my head, of course, the first thing I went to is that they're there for him. So I followed this ambulance and it ended up not being him. But that night he finally came home and I told him the story. And the next morning is when he had overdosed and he had passed away. So it was like that night I had those horrible feelings and I explained it to him and he reached out and he said, Sarah, he's like, I need help. And he's like, I need to stay with my mother tomorrow and I I need to get through this because I know that I can't do it on my own. So it's like that day he reached out for help and the next day he was gone that night. So, oh, Sarah, it was so fast. And it's that is crazy. It's tough because when you use, you you use a certain amount. You're used to a certain you yep. know chemical drug. Uh, you try to get clean. Uh, you go back to it. Sometimes the thing is, is people think that they can use the same amount they were using before they got clean and not realize that it had to build up for them. So you'll see a lot of stuff that yeah. way, or they use stuff that's stronger, stuff that they didn't. They that you can't really, you know, measure it and say, oh, this is the same. And there's no like once you once you use it, there's no taking it out. No. Like, there's no puking and it coming out of your system. Like it's it's there. It's, yeah. It's, there's no coming back. So at what point, you know, did they did this completely spin on you? Like we're now questioning Sarah. You're involved. Like did this turn no, it into never, a never spun on me? Um, at this point. You know, obviously this happened and it was crazy and I was pregnant at the time. And so I had a thousand emotions going in my head. Um, Of course, we all felt that we could have done more. You know, we all say we could have done this, this and this, but it wouldn't have made a difference. Everybody does that. Mm -hmm. There's always the, what if I had been a little earlier coming home? What if I had not locked the door and I could have easily, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's always going to be that. Yeah. But I mean... It was never spun on me. And I think my family and his family, they were very, very supportive. They're very great. Um, And they're always there if I need them. I think we're all kind of going through it together. Yeah. Um, How long ago was this there? uh, Just over two years now. Okay. So it was it was right before Christmas time. So Mm -hmm. we were all excited to spend Christmas together as a family. Got announced that we were having another baby. Um, So that was tough. But I don't know. I mean, I just, I mean, as far as I'm spending it on me, I don't, they would never. Yeah. Never. Well, I don't even mean family. Like, you know, when sometimes you hear about investigations, you know, looking at drugs. Like, oh, do no. You- I mean, they took his phone and, you know, they investigated and searched through his phone and they actually found the guy that had sold it to him. Mm-hmm. And he did do some time. He didn't do enough time because he didn't put the the drugs in the needle for him. So it was... You know what? I just read something on Buffalo News. We're going to have to look this up because I don't want to misquote or I don't know if it was Buffalo News. I'm just trying to think. But I think they're trying to pass a new law for people who distribute fentanyl. 
So I think there may be something for harsher punishments that is coming out. I just read about it. So we'll have to I do just a feel there's check. so many loopholes because they Oh, so many. I mean, they don't they don't they don't shoot it into you. So it's it's not like they did but they didn't. They know what they're distributing. And it ended up that the guy that he had gotten it from got it from China and it was falsely man- manufactured and Ugh. there was no chance and there were multiple deaths from this dose. <sighs> So Rolling Stone had an article last year that said fent- fentanyl now has mandatory minimums and death penalty. In what state? Um, this is over nationally. This mm. was this was put forth by uh, the Trump administration. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, this is definitely worth a conversation, just even this by itself. Um, but it's super important. Like, I don't know. It's if anything that so, so, like, let me so let me ask you this. Anybody that heard this today, what is something that you'd want them to get from this? Something to understand? Like, what is your, you know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? From what perspective? From somebody who <clears throat> tried to be supportive or whoever's someone out there. who's using now? Whoever's out there, whoever could be listening, what can they get from this? Aside from don't lose hope, you know, and, and, and that things can get better, you, you know? I would just say don't try and understand because you're not going to understand unless you go through it yourself. Okay. And don't voice your opinion if you have no idea what what it even is. And what about people who, like, say somebody's listening and their their friend, their boyfriend's going through it, and and what can you give them as advice to try to be there to help? Because I know it's tough. You everything like you is do all advice, is bad hard. advice. Or is it just one of these things where you just you have to just just be there for when they need it? Be there at any minute that they're willing to talk about it. Don't try and force them. I feel like it's more resistant. I feel like it beats down on them more and more and more and makes them feel worse. Because mm-hmm. um, if you throw in their face all the bad things that they've done and all the things they could be doing instead, it makes them feel worse and is probably going to make them go use more. Yeah. You know, how do you voice your opinion that makes someone feel like I'm loved and I'm needed? Or I is it better not. to let them know? Like, is it well, good to yeah. just be like, hey, I'm always here no matter what. I I'm mean, always just here. like a child, you know, you may say you hate me, but I love you no matter what. Mm-hmm. And I'm here for you if you need me. And that's not going to change. But I would, yeah, just, just, you know, show them how many people are there for them. And that no matter what has happened in the past, they will be forgiven. And what about for people who are in recovery? So what helps you? What helps you to stay in recovery? What helps you whenever those thoughts come in mind? What is it you do to have, like, what kind what can you tell people like, try doing this, try doing that? What is it that helps you? Just, I just stay busy. If I have a bad day. Like what? Um, what's, what's busy for you? Aside from taking care of the kids or cleaning a house, what's busy? Do you do you journal? Do you paint, write, play music? I love music. Freestyle rap. Yep. <laughs> we, we learned that I do not do that, but I jam out in my car on the way home. Okay. Um, no, like I love my music or I'll just, you know, I'll call up a friend and, and just talk to him, even if it's not about that topic, but like yeah. just to get my Something mind out of that place. Just if you can get past that one urge and change your train of th- thought, I think that's huge. My other question would be, you know, what are the misconceptions around recovery? Like, are you thinking about drugs 24 seven? Do you want to use every time you're down? Like, or yes, do you like what can you take people into the world of recovery, especially people who are working? So there's a big topic about, you know, people in recovery working. Can you trust them? Can they operate machinery? Will are they stress, reliable? Will stress of work push them towards, you know, right back into it. I mean, I feel like anything could, you know, yeah. trigger you. Um, I mean, there's not a day that I don't think about it. 
Okay. You know, some worse than others. And they say get away from people, places, and things. There's no such thing. Yeah. No such no, thing. No, this is reality. This is part of our reality, unfortunately. Yeah. I mean, every everything you go through in life, like, may remind you, oh, there was this time or that one time in rehab. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. That one time it's when true, I. Or like you, you see movies, music, TV shows, an episode of something that makes you think of it, you know? Oh, it, yeah, for sure. So it is normal. So let's say you haven't used in two years. Could it, the feeling of recovery make you feel like you just used two days ago? Like, is that how strong when thinking about drugs? Or do you find it gets easier as the time goes by and the more you work on it? It doesn't, it doesn't, because you still get those those days that you really get that urge. Mm-hmm. You know, even though I don't want to, like my body wants to. And like I said in the past, I've I've tried to replace it with other substances and it just it's it's not the same. So you have yeah. to deal with life in other ways. Do you feel like people treat you different either at work, home, or just in gen- general, like knowing your story or knowing, oh, she used, like, do you feel like there's a misconception about people? You know, what's oh, something sure. you want people to know? Yeah, I would say there is because of the stick. I mean, that's why we do yeah. this, to break the stigma, to break that idea of, oh, you know what a, a recovering person looks like or acts like or even well, speaks like. that's the thing. Yeah. I mean, what, even before I, I even ever used and I was just with Josh, like people assumed that I was using too because... I was with him. Um, but I feel like that's totally the way people look at you until you explain your story. But like I said, I don't go out of my way to explain my story unless you ask. Yeah. Sure. Well, because you're not defined by that. Right. Like, why do you, you don't have to have like a piece of paper on your forehead that says, yeah, I've used before, addicts, recovering yeah. addict. Right. So like, what can you tell someone either a boss or an employer or someone who maybe has a coworker, like what's a, what's a myth that you can squash right now about a human who's just trying to make a living, pay their bills in recovery, that they're not bad people. They're No, they're not bad people. They're regular people. And it's not that they made a bad mistake because, you know, it's a disease that you live with, but it's, it's, they're in remission. I mean, they can be a good person. You know, I would just try and tell them to keep an open relationship with their, with their employer and their employee because if something were to come up, I think there needs to be an open communication that hopefully your employee will be able to speak to you about it. Right. Do you think it helps to kind of keep that to yourself? Cause you're not obligated to disclose that what you went through, but do you feel like if you were in a comfortable work setting, you could have that conversation of, Hey, this is my past. Sometimes I may need to look for support. Sometimes I may, or do you feel like, that could hurt somebody in the long run at their job. Like I think depending on what your profession is, um, it could be a little bit more difficult. Um, I mean, we're lucky being in the mental health facility that, yeah, it's understood. Exactly. And I think nowadays it's more people than not that have dealt with this in some sort of way, whether it's their loved one or themselves that have went through it. So I think, I think it can be overlooked, but I also think there is always, room, not room, but the chance of a slip up. I mean, maybe one day down the road, I may need to go talk to somebody, whether it be about Josh's passing or if it, you know, or my past, but right now I'm okay. And I think Mm -hmm. when that time comes, I'll be able to make that decision. Yeah. 
Um, but I think it's so normal for people to go talk to a counselor, even if there's nothing going on. People just like talking to somebody that doesn't know them personally. And I think that's the best thing about nowadays is that it's becoming more and more accepted. Um, we see things with mental health all the time in the news. We talk about it. I mean, we're, we're drafting bills now to start dealing with mental health issues uh, and mental illness and addictions and all these different things that removing the stigma is probably one of the most important things. So to be able to just say, I can talk about it or I feel like I can go to a group or to a counselor and get this off my chest is not a it's not the way it was looked at 30 years ago when you said you saw a therapist. You know what I mean? People looked at you like, oh, what's wrong with you? Mm-hmm. Nowadays, you can say I'm going to see my therapist and people are like, cool, mm-hmm. because it's who doesn't have one anymore? You well, know what exactly. I mean? So, well, it's I just awesome. think we're all, and I told you this in the email, like we're just, we're a lot more alike than people think. Yeah. I feel like also we're all, we've all gone, gone through things. Everybody's grown up and been a child and been a teenager and been a young adult. And they've all had to have different things that had like, trust me, when you're walking, walk through the mall, 90% of those people have dealt with some sort of mental illness, some sort of abuse, some sort of addiction. Like we got to realize like we're all one. And that's why breaking down the stigma and the thoughts and being able to talk about these things is super important. Like when you do it, I don't want to say normalizes it and makes it okay. Like saying norm, it's normal to just go do drugs, but it's normal to, to understand and accept the fact that this is something you can't control. That's normal. So we should talk about it. We should, um, you know, put that out there. And we appreciate you coming on and talking about Sarah, it. Seriously. Let's ask her some. Yeah. We'll, so we'll normally we, we positive note. <laughs> yeah. Well, we do that. We do at the end of the episodes. We do the the questions that we like to ask the guests. What was the one that you wanted to ask today? So we'll give you a couple. So I think the first one would be, what 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 advice would you give your younger self looking back? And it could be. And it wanna, doesn't even have to be your. I want you. I want you <laughs> now to talk to you with your hip tattoo walking through the. <laughs> oh my Walking God. through the halls. <laughs> what are you going to tell that girl when she's mouthing off to your parents? What do you tell her? And oh. and thinking she's so badass in high school and going to the parties. What do you tell her? I don't know. I mean, I guess think before you open your mouth and make a decision. It doesn't always turn out the way that you had planned. (laughs) You may want to remove that tattoo a couple of years down the road. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. And really parents, like, they know what they're talking about. They've been there. They've been through it. Mm -hmm. Like, that's something that as a child, you think your parents have Uh, no idea. Oh, but isn't it terrible when you say it and then it hits you back and you're like, oh, shit. I sound just like my mother. It's real. Here's the other thing now, too. You've gone through so much in your life that it's going to be hard for your kids to get get away with things because you're going to know. You'll see signs. You're just lying. You know what I mean? You look at them and you'll know when they're lying to you. And that's things that we know. Um, But what I wanted to ask you about is will this be something that you talk to your kids about? Like that this was something you experienced or is this something that you try? Well, how to- old are they? How old are they right now? Seven, four, and one. Yeah, I mean, I'm assuming older. You don't just start talking. No, about no. Now, but, but when they start asking about their dad and, and things that have happened, what do you think? Have you thought about that? Are you preparing? Right now, we just tell them that he was very sick mm-hmm. and that he was struggling um, and that... You know, he's no longer struggling and, you know, nobody should have to struggle. Yeah, yeah. So they just know that he was very, very sick. And sometimes they'll ask, you know, when did he get sick? And, mm-hmm. you know, they have their questions. Yeah, and they're I going just, to. I just try to be as direct and as, I mean, easy coming as possible. Do you feel, um, uh, do you feel um, not just for you, but maybe any, any mother or father who's dealt with addiction and had to deal with that with a loved one and themselves, 
vice versa, whatever it is. Do you feel like it's important though to educate the child ahead, like later on and say, you know, these are things that de- people deal with? Um, or is it one of these things? Do you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, well, or, absolutely. Because some people will say, no, just protect them. They don't need to know uh, about that. Oh, you know what I mean? No, I feel, I mean, before Josh passed away, he always said that like one day he wants to talk to the kids and tell them what he's been through. Um, But I feel like rather than reading it out of a textbook, talking to somebody from real life experiences would be more powerful than just reading it. Um, Oh, yeah. Well, because you have this connection of, oh, my goodness. You know, like physically. Yeah. You know, and their family members or I think it should be should be an open thing. I think that's very, very important. Yeah. That's scary. Like I'm terrified for when my kids grow up. I don't know what the hell. Yeah, who is knows what's be gonna be there. around then. Well it's yeah. all trial and error. You can't really prepare <laughs> no. for us later. Yeah. Um what when you are feeling your best, like who is Sarah at her best? Freestyling. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> that day please record me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um I don't know. I think when am I at my best? Mm -hmm. On a good day when I'm with people that I trust and can just be open with. Like I really truly enjoy going to work as dumb as that sounds like. No, it's not dumb. I look forward to the weekend being over so I can go back to work because I love the people I work with and I can be open. And that's so important too. I feel like that plays such a role in your everyday life. You're there from, you know, for most people nine to five. Yeah. And think about people in recovery going to a place where they hate. Yeah. That could be a trigger in itself. Yeah. <laughs> if and, I was still cutting hair, oh, I hated my and life. And you're right, though, because it is it is another support system. You're spending seven to eight hours a day with people, five days a week, and that's usually more than you're spending with a significant other. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's good that you feel that way, that you feel that you can trust them and that they make you feel like family, that you're, you literally look forward to Monday. People see Monday come, they're just like, oh, God, Monday again. <laughs> when you I tell people I, mean? I love my job, they're like, yeah, okay. Like nobody <laughs> loves working. What do you think this world needs more of, especially in the current climate? Um, uh, less judgment. Compassion. Yeah. Less judgment. Less judgment and more of like a helping hand. Because we do need each other. Mm-hmm. I don't yeah, think we don't know the person. I think it's so nice when you connect with someone, even if it's like really quickly at the grocery store when you're both like, oh, sorry, I hit you with my car. Yeah, or, yeah, yeah. Like I, I think we're so scared. And I can admit like I go to Wegmans with my head down. Like I just want to get my stuff and I want to get out. But I feel like we when we do connect with someone that we have absolutely no idea who they were. Like, it's just so nice. I would agree. When you say the grocery store, I've been at a grocery store before looking at something and then like deciding whether or not I want to get it. And somebody came up and they're like, oh yeah, that's actually really good. You should get it. I'll look at him. Really? Oh yeah. Make it with this too. Cause you're going to love that. Yeah. Okay. And it's just, I don't know. I think we're just so scared of people. We're so scared of, because of everything we see online and, mm-hmm. you know, we see all of these bad things happening and people just recording with their phones and not helping mm-hmm. a hand. Yeah. You know, I just think we're not seeing more of what is actually happening, right. which is a lot of positive, a lot of positive. Like lot. if Buffalo was to blow up in flames, I can guarantee you that people would be doing everything they can to put the fire out, to put the fire out, yep. to help people to what do you need? Yeah. You know, and I think that we need more of, I don't know you like, 
Yeah, that's got to stop. Yeah, I mean, I feel like I've heard Buffalo is like the friendliest dude. The nicest voted, city. Exactly. Voted the nicest city again. Look like at the, us. the city of brotherly neighbors or something like yeah. that. Yeah, I when Good I was neighbors. cutting hair, somebody came from like Texas or something, and was like, I was walking down the street some day, the other day, and somebody waved to me and said hello. It was the weirdest thing ever. I'm like, what do yeah. you mean that's the weirdest yeah. thing? So like, nice. it's rude if you don't say hi. Yeah, like, yeah. Sarah, thank you so much for coming on the show. We appreciate it. Yes, yeah, Sarah. Uh, we'll have you on in the future again. I mean, you have a lot of. I feel like you have a lot of experience. Um, that you can draw from and, and discuss and talk about, not just about that. I mean, overall, I mean, we want to hear more about the bad girl in, in high school. Oh, no. Riding, riding the, the Harley with the <laughs> I do have boys. my motorcycle license. I just oh, oh, very see, cool. See, that'll have to be for another episode. <laughs> but uh, yes, thanks so much for coming on the show. No problem. All right, we'll talk to you later. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. This was another episode of the Best Self Podcast. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Best Self Podcast. The views and opinions expressed by the Best Self Podcast are those of the producers and guests and in no way reflect the official policy or position of Best Self Behavioral Health. Any content discussed by the co-hosts or guests are their opinion and are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, or individual.